Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Talk Junkies, where tonight's going to be a very interesting night, as it is each and every single week here at Talk Junkies. Um, Jesse and Johnny are not here this week, but there's always next week. But tonight, I, I have a, a dear friend of mine, one of my best friends, probably the best friend, I don't know. Uh, Blake, how you doing, man? What's up, brother? How's life been treating you, man? Not too bad. Just busy. You know, always always grinding. Something's going on. Yeah, you got a third kid on the way, so that's always good. Third kid on the way is always fun. Another, sure, another sure girl? Oh, yeah. Yep. Three girls, three girls, and uh, two uh, boys. Two boys to come one day. We'll see. Two boys the to next come. Two will be oh boys. shit! There it is. You're gonna have another one after this. Goodness <laughs> gracious. Well, anyways, if you're interested in last week's podcast, um, I still haven't uploaded to YouTube yet. I had some technical difficulties with the video, so I'm, I'm still gonna upload. It's just gonna be audio. It's just a black screen. I had Dan Cox on. Um, he's been on multiple times. Uh, constitutionalist talking about the Constitution, and uh, really, we hit home last week a uh, trial by jury in how. We could fix a lot of the crime in the United States if we just simply did what the Constitution said and just only strictly view crime as trial by jury. So if that's of interest to you, definitely tune into last week's podcast. Check it out. Um, before we get into tonight's podcast, I just want to give a, a big shout out to everyone who listens to our podcast each and every single week. It, you guys have no idea how much it means to me um, when I'm at work and you guys just approach me and you're like, hey, man, I or, you know, I, Paul, I checked out the podcast. It was really good. Um I, that means a lot to me. So I'm grateful, uh, gratefully appreciative of everyone who tunes in each and every single week to check us out. So thank you very much. Um, this week, we're going to get into a very interesting topic, something that we've never really shed light on here at Talk Junkies. Um, we do have an author on this evening to talk about it. And it, I think it, it, it is controversial in its own. And there, we're going to go down the slippery slope. And, and that's a word that's used a lot when, when this topic is talked about and it's the right the right to death and should you have that choice should that choice be available to you if you have the right to live should you have the right to die and we're bringing on an author tonight to talk about just that she has experienced this in her life with a family member of hers who went through a really long journey and battled breast cancer and there's no better person to bring on to talk about the right to death than don stillwell how you doing don i'm doing really well thanks guys i'm um happy to be here well, we're happy to have you. We have your book here uh, center in front on, on the Talk Junkies table. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, and, and how this book came to be. Okay, well, um, I, I have, I'm the oldest of three girls. Um, my youngest sister was Jennifer. And, um, well, in early on in the pandemic, around February, March of twenty. 20 that's what it started right even that's so long right um she was uh, she hadn't been feeling well she went to see her doctor and the doctor ran some tests and whatever anyways lo and behold she finds out she's got stage four inflammatory breast cancer and that's not the kind you usually um are able to come back from uh the stats are that one in five will make it five years so she knew she had a battle ahead of her and um, unfortunately, it was it was a very lonely battle for her because having to do this through the pandemic, our, like our hospitals shut everybody out. I mean, only the people being treated could be in the hospitals and things like that. But she she went through um, I don't I think it was nine or ten rounds of chemo. Then she had a radical mastectomy, and then she had radiation, and that took about seven months to get through all of that. And all that bought her was about six weeks of relief because her main symptom was um, pleural effusion. That's um, water trapped around the lung. And um, 
that had gone away with treatment, but it came back within six weeks of um, her radiation treatment stopping. And so um, she lost the ability to breathe deeply and it just grew increasingly worse. And in the summer of 2021, she decided to ask the doctor, is there any way we can work on this? And the doctor said, well, we'll put you back on chemo. And they gave her a, an oral chemo that she could take at home because by this time she was housebound. And um, she was a few weeks into it and she's like, I, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. It, it, the, her quality of life had dropped so much because of the side effects of the chemo that she's like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take this drug and have this quality of life when all it's doing is giving me more time to suffer. But she had begun speaking earlier about um, possibly utilizing medical assistance in death, which is legal here in Canada, has been since 2016. And um, in October of last year, she um, contacted the people that could arrange that for her. And she chose November 13th as the day she would die. And um, that's what she did on November 13th at 11.30 in the morning. Uh, my sister passed away with the help of a nurse practitioner. So when, whenever she first found out about it, uh, I'm just I'm just kind of curious. There mm -hmm. are like... There are screenings and you go see the doctor yearly as a woman, you know, just to see if that's something that could be, a, was she involved in that type of thing? Yearly checkups, well, seeing all that, those things? No, she wasn't. She wasn't a real big, uh, she wasn't real big on going to see the doctor. Um, but she had been going to see the doctor because of um, this um, rather curious um, breathing problem she was having. I mean, they test her for asthma and things like that because it does run in the family and it, it wasn't that. And it, and then one day she woke up actually with the telltale signs of inflammatory breast cancer, which is a red rash and a dimpled skin. It just kind of came on her overnight. And so when she saw that, she booked an appointment with the doctor. And the doctor had a look at that and said, yeah, you need to talk to an oncologist. And that's where that whole ordeal started was um, in the office that day. Right. So. Yeah. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to think here. Um, I had another question. So throughout that process, and that's like probably the worst time to find out is during COVID, especially in Canada. Oh, with Exactly. Yeah. I mean, because they, they locked us down hard in, they did. in March of 2020. And what was, was the, like, what was the day, sorry, that she found out? Uh, it, I believe it was like, her, <laughs> it was just after her birthday, which was April 1st. Oh, like wow. She, or that's when she told us. She had been going to the doctor and whatever, and then she finally told the rest of the family what was going on. And and she seemed at the time to be, I, I wouldn't say determined, but she was she was she was accepting of the diagnosis and was just gonna do whatever she had to do to try to have more time. Yeah. And again though, just looking at the time frame of that. And it, it, if she told you the beginning of April, most likely she knew at least a week or two before. And that's, right. an, that's literally the onset of when COVID was, was happening. Yes, lines up pretty, pretty much the same. Yeah. I'm sure that was pretty tough for you guys to not be able to be, well, there as, you know, as much support as. So I, I guess, well, go ahead, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, well, it was rough because then, because, you know, we had, everybody's all worried about COVID. We didn't know much about it. Um, the doctors weren't didn't know how to treat it at that point 
And so, and she knew once she started um, into her cancer therapies, like her immune system would be compromised. So even if we could be supportive, she's like, stay away. I don't want to see you because uh, she didn't want to take the risk of, you know, possibly contracting COVID on top of um, having the cancer. So, but it, it didn't matter because um, nobody could go to her, go to the hospital with her for her chemo appointment. Nobody could go to the hospital during her mastectomy surgery. Nobody could be at the hospital with her when she went through radiation therapy. So she basically had to go through all that alone. Now, my mom moved down there um, for a good chunk of 2020, and then she didn't come back till February of 2021, and then ended up going back to stay with Jennifer uh, late spring until Jennifer passed away, just so she had somebody there to kind of look after her. What was like the process for her? Because in, in Canada, you guys do have free health care, and just kind of going through that, and then obviously, again, going through the onslaught of COVID, obviously she had to do it alone, but was whenever you're at that stage of cancer, was it a long process for her to get these appointments set up? Was everything kind of fast in motion for her to aggressively try and take care of this? Cause again, you only, you said only one in five people come, come out of this. Right. I mean, the, the oncologist knew that if, if they were going to, if they had any hope of beating it back, they had to start treatment right away. So she, so she found out end of March, first part of April, <clears throat> excuse me, she started chemo the end of May. And that carried her through till I think the first week or so of August. And so they gave her about six weeks to recover from chemo before they did the mastectomy. And then they gave her about six weeks to recover from that before they started the radiation therapy. So basically her treatment went from mid to late May, right until Christmas time, like all those different treatments. So kind of, it, it took about a month and a half before she could get in there and, and start to start well, to have treatment. We have free health care. Um, a um, just the fact that they were shutting down, uh, shutting down so many services in the hospital. I right. think that contributed to the wait. And just because we have free health care, it doesn't mean it's always timely health care. I mean, they try, but um, right now our surgeries are really backed up because there's so many months where they didn't do anything except emergency surgeries. So. Um, it's still going to be a while before our healthcare system um, catches up. So even if COVID weren't to be a thing, it still would have been, you know, who knows the the time frame. But it's still, I feel like once you find out you have stage four, like that, I don't, I don't know about here in the United States, but I think if you were to go to a hospital, find out that that's the case, it's probably something they're going to aggressively attack probably within a week or two. It, exactly. I, I, well, I'm very sorry about that. That, that man, I, I, I could see why you were inspired to write a book because you, you, you and your family were put in a very precarious position. Well, well we were. And, um, when my sister, when my sister decided, I think it was in August, <clears throat> excuse me, what, just after she finished chemo and she's like, you know, she's by this time she's got, um, drains in both sides to drain the fluid that was accumulating around her lungs. And she had a nurse coming in every day to drain them. And sometimes like, you know, a liter off one side, half a liter off the other. And that's just overnight. So, you know, so just, just imagine that, okay, a liter, like that's like, that's like two pints <laughs> or a quart. So we're metric over here. Yeah. So, but I mean, but that's, that's taking up that kind of lung capacity, um, you know, every day and then it's drained off, but it fills up again. So it was just, I mean, she, she couldn't sleep laying down. She, she slept 
sitting up most of the time. Um, she just, there's just that inability to breathe. And I mean, I, I can relate to it a bit because I'm one of the family members that has asthma. I know what it's like when you have an asthma attack and you can't breathe very well. But the thing is, is that, you know, you take your medication or you go to the hospital, get a treatment and it goes away, but it didn't ever go away. And she was just, she was tired of living that way. And that's when she decided that, well, I'm, I'm, she was really going to consider uh, a medically assisted death. And, um, and at that point, so she's decided, okay, I, I don't want to live this way. I want to die. And that hit me kind of hard because when someone has a terminal disease, like, you know, they're not going to be with you for, you know, for all the years you'd like to have them with you. But at the same time, you know, their death is kind of just out there on the horizon. But when she said, I'm, I want a medically assisted death and I think I want to do it, you know, before I get to the point where I have to be treated in hospice because she was receiving hospice care at home after she went off of um, chemo the second time. And um, that hit me really hard. And I was, I found I was experiencing anticipatory grief. And um, so I found a grief counselor and, you know, was talking through these things and she encouraged me to start keeping a, a grief journal. And it's like, well, yeah, I used to journal when I was younger. So, so um I reluctantly started keeping this journal, but I did find it very helpful. And the reason why this book came about was because about four or five days after Jennifer passed, um, I was writing in the journal and I went back and read everything I wrote because it had covered like the last couple of days of Jennifer's life plus the day she died. And I realized this was the story I was looking for when I was trying to find more information about medical assistance in dying because I mean I mean there's more information out there now but you go back a year year and a half ago you type in medical assisted death Canada well then you get all these web pages for the Canadian government explaining the law but not firsthand accounts about what is this like for the person who's going to choose it what's it like for the family of the person who's supporting the person who's choosing this so that's kind of how the book came about it was like well maybe my story can help another family you know, to know what to anticipate what, if their loved one chooses to have a medically assisted death. Yeah, and 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 in you saying that, um, looking it up myself, just trying to, you know, brush brush up a little bit on just the subject, it, it wasn't something that a lot of search results came up for, was, was this. No, no. Um, when I was looking, there is a website called dyingwithdignity.ca. It's a Canadian website. Sorry. And I mean, they had five or six small stories about people who had chosen a medically assisted death, but it really, uh, I think it really glossed over uh, the emotional um, hell the families go through. It's like, this is because, because, well, of course, they're support, they're dying with dignity, they're supporting medical assistance in dying. So, of course, they want to put, a, you know, as good a spin on it as they can, but they really glossed over what the families go through. So kind of give us just, I mean, if, if you want, your sister's going through this. It's been 18 months. She's, you know, basically living in agony. I'm sure that you were in constant contact with her, kind of going through the day-to-days of what it was like to be in her shoes. I know you had to grieve for it, but after it happened, was it more of a relief for her, knowing that she's not struggling anymore type of thing? Or? Well, yeah, but, yeah. And, and, and you know, you, you kind of feel a little bit guilty, too, because, you know, 
you know, obviously, I mean, I, I was there in the room when she passed away. And then, of course, there, you know, you're overcome with, you know, grief because it's finally happened. But, you know, within the hour, it's like, you know, there is this little bit lighter spot in your heart because it's like, at least she's not suffering anymore. Because, I mean, as much as she was suffering, it's hard to watch somebody you love suffer. So, you know, but then you feel a little bit guilty, but, you know, you, you get over it quick enough. I mean, it's, it, it, it is a relief because, yes, she's no longer suffering. Her, she tried to keep her life as normal as possible. So other than, um, you know, having the drains put in, having the nurses come, I mean, she refused to have a hospital bed, even though I think she would have been more comfortable. And every day she diligently got up and sometimes my mom had to help her, but you know, she'd get a shower and she'd be fully dressed and sitting on her spot on the couch for when the nurses came. And, you know, she just, you know, she didn't act like an invalid because she didn't want to be perceived that way. She was a very strong-willed woman. And I think it was just a case of, well, you know, cancer's got me, but you're not, you know, she was <laughs> as determined as she could be to live as normal a life as she could during the pandemic while, you know, dying of cancer. So what's kind of your take on on assisted suicide now that you've been through it? And I know that your your goal is to help people who have to go, or is to help people who have to go through this as well. Now that they don't have to go through a pandemic and a sister who has no, stage no, four no, breast no, cancer. No, no, no will not have to experience it at that level. But I, I wanted people to know what it was like because, uh, well, statistically, in 2020, 7,545 people in Canada chose a medically assisted death. Now that's, 20, that's 2020. In 2021, there was 10,345 in Ontario alone. I could tell you the stats but i don't have the paperwork for in front of me for the rest of canada but that's that's what got me it was, it was like you know 50 percent more people in ontario than all of canada the year before so right now people um <clears throat> if you haven't been affected by it you know someone who knows someone who's who's chosen this route that's kind of where we're at but people don't have the opportunity to talk about it I found after my book came out, people contacted me, um, you know, other than for interviews and whatnot, but they were contacting me to say that, you know, I'm glad you shared this because um, we went through this with my mom. We went through this with my aunt or with my uncle. And it's just nice to know that somebody else knows what it's like because there is pushback um, in the religious communities. There's there's um, uh, certain um, religions that, are, it doesn't sit well with them, and they're speaking out against it. And and some of the medical communities, because you know doctors take an oath to do no harm, and some doctors just don't want to put their John Henry on on the paperwork. And you have to have two people sign off that yes, you're terminal, and yes, you should be allowed to to make this choice. So um, yeah, people people should be talking about it, but they find it hard to talk about because either it was a traumatic experience or the people that should be supporting them um, don't agree with it. And the thing is, you don't, I don't think you have to agree with, with somebody on this to support them. I have a very good friend. He's, he's a very devout Christian man. And he's like, I just, I just don't think God would like that. And it's like, well, if it was your daughter and she chose this, like, would you just turn your back on her? No, you wouldn't. You would, you would be there for her, even if you didn't agree with her choice. 
At so, least I like to think that's how people would think. What What is the like the beginning? And I know you weren't there for it, but what is like the beginning process for this? Did she had to contact someone? What kind of are the stipulations for assisted suicide? You have to. Do you have to be terminally ill? If you were suicidal and you're a younger person, is this something that they would have access to as well, or is it more well, geared they, towards okay, people? They don't have access to it yet, but they're they're um, trying to create legislation to allow it for people who are mentally ill. Again, that's a slippery slope, though, because you know if you're so unhappy with your life and you're mentally ill, I mean, I can see it possibly in some circumstances, but you, you wouldn't want the law to be abused. So, and I think that, um, but right now. You have to be you have to be deemed terminal within the next like likely to die within the next six months. Right, and 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 see, like whenever I first contacted you and I started thinking about this subject, that's kind of along the lines of I I, I never put too much thought into it, but I'm like, if I were to agree with something like this, it would have to be specifically only for people who are terminally ill. I don't see any other way when you allow like government or or, or even doctors at that point to kind of have a say in it I, again, like we, like we talked about, it's a slippery slope. Then, then you allow for other Tom Fullery to come to be involved in these types of situations. Well, that's, that's exactly it. You know, cause it, it, if you, especially if they were to, you know, create legislation that, you know, allows people who are mentally ill. Okay. So what people does this encompass? Does this a couple encompass people with developmental disabilities? Okay. Then all of a sudden then are, are, are they deemed not worthy of life? If a baby is born and, you know, with um, medical problems that are probably incompatible with life or incompatible with, you know, a life worth living, you know, is euthanasia going to become a thing that, you know, that could be used in a situation like that? And I mean, we're nowhere near having those kind of talks over here because like they're taking very baby steps, but it is a controversial topic and it's like at, at what point right now it's people who are who are going to die anyway it's to save them suffering but you know if they were to use the law to go beyond that i think that that's a very slippery slope right there yeah i think I know we keep saying that but i mean i don't know how else to to put it so i think that you're you're kind of in agreement with well, at least with my how i view it or look at it it's it should only be used for that is for people who, yeah. like your sister, who well, are suffering and going through a very traumatic experience that's not going to go well, away and can't be cured. Yeah, exactly. Uh, where, where there is no hope of, uh, of getting better. There's no hope of getting better. There's a, All that's left before them is continuing to decline and to suffer until they succumb to their, to their illness. In Jennifer's case, what would have happened probably within a week or 10 days of the day she chose to die because she was declining very rapidly. It was, she would end up like in hospice and probably heavily medicated so that she wasn't so aware of her um, difficulty in breathing. And that's not what she wanted. She wanted to be lucid and, you know, enjoy what life she could until it was no longer bearable. And she told me the day before she died, she said, if everybody wasn't geared up for tomorrow, she said, I would have done this two days ago because at that point, I mean, she chose her day, but she could have called up at any point, the nurse practitioner and said, today's the day. And she would have come and, and, um, fulfilled her wishes that day. So, uh, the, the process you were there, you saw it. Um, 
Yes. I, I'm and not... I can tell you how it differs here than sure. um, in the U.S. I, I don't want to. Um, I, I don't want to get like too personable, but you saw it happen, and I have heard that it, it is. It is... And, I, and I don't mind talking about it because people need to know that they're going to be fearful of this thing if they don't know how it works, right? So yeah. So um, like you. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and you're you're about to describe it, but just there's a complete difference from from what I'm aware of of how it's implemented in Canada because it's countrywide as opposed to here in the United States. Blake looked it up; it's eleven right. states. That was, that was actually nine states, and then Washington D.C. Nine states and Washington yeah. Washington D.C. is basically its own state, anyways. Yeah. But oh, like right, right. Um, where so kind of just take us through the process of what I mean, how it happened, and then go into how it happens in the United States from what you're aware of. So. So, um, I mean, the people here, you have a choice, like you, a doctor can prescribe you meds that you can keep at home and you can take yourself whenever you want. Um, but there's also the option to have, um, a doctor or a nurse practitioner who, who whatever medical personnel are performing this service in your area to come to your house and they will bring with them a community nurse to put in an IV port. And um, sometimes they do too, depending on the health of your veins. They only had to put one into Jennifer's arm because um, her veins were in good shape. Um, and so basically it starts with um, a sedative. So, you know, within about 90 seconds. So this is all, this is all IV drugs, a sedative that's injected and the person falls into a deep sleep. And then it's then followed by... Uh, a lot of time has gone by since I've spoken about this, um, but it is followed by um, uh, a shot of lidocaine, and that is to numb the veins because um, what follows that is two rather large vials of a coma-inducing drug. And, I mean, they they were big, <laughs> like the vials were big. And then that is followed up with a, a very strong muscle relaxant. Now, these are all legal drugs, but they're all given at like many times the normal dose because um, the requirement isn't to keep the patient alive. It's, it's you know, to kill the patient. So, uh, and these are administered over the course of about four or five minutes. And the whole process took maybe six or seven minutes from the time, you know, you know Jennifer was falling asleep to us, you know, saying, we love her and, and whatever. And, you know, six minutes later, she was gone. Yeah, that's... but it's a very, it was very peaceful. I mean, she didn't suffer, like she she was asleep. And then you know, you just you just actually what once that sedative was in, uh, she breathed easier than she had in weeks, just just because her body was relaxing, right? So it it, it was peaceful, but it it was I'll tell you, it was like the it's the saddest thing I've ever seen. I mean, I that I think it's a hard thing to ask a family, but what. I wouldn't, I would never say no, but I hope nobody else asked me to do it again. <laughs> yeah. I would never <laughs> want to go through that. Uh, no, but at the same no, time, yeah, it, if I had a family member in the same position, you know, I would, I would do the same thing. I would just be there and be supportive for sure. Right. Right. Now and, that, and, and, go ahead. I, 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 no, no, no. If you had a little bit more to go on that, I was going to well, say it was that that last week was, was hard. I, I, I Trying to just trying to describe it was like you know this horrible awful thing was on the horizon that you couldn't get away with and I likened it to like 
a prisoner being on death row, you know, they've, they've, they've got the execution date. And, and then there's just this anxiety waiting for that day to come. And, and that last week is like, I wanted to be anywhere, but on that journey waiting for Jennifer's time of death. And I, it, it was, I would say it was traumatizing to a lot of the family. Um, I mean, it was, it was her choice and, and, you know, we supported her choice, but at the same time, it, it was just really a really hard week to get through. It's like, um, it's like no, that. No other, no other way to put it. <laughs> it's that part where you said like, you kind of felt guilty, like, but you didn't, you know, or not that you didn't, but it's like, you want, it's the guiltiness of you wanting her to stay and live. That way you can talk to her and be with her. She's your sister that you want nothing else but her yeah, to be there. I think everybody, everybody goes through that. It's like, no, I want you to stay. I, could, I, yeah. could, I would never tell you that. Cause you know, um, you know, it was her choice and you know, it I think I explained in the book, I said, it might've been a selfish choice, but I think it was actually the ultimate act of self-care for her, you know, because she just couldn't bear being in her body anymore. So how, how does the process um, differ in the United States to what you're aware of? Now, from what I'm aware of now, see, while I was looking for information on how, how this happens, because I, ha- I had no idea that it was different in Canada until um, I was in on the conversation with Jennifer and the nurse practitioner when they were setting it up. I had watched a TED talk with, um, it was given by Elaine Fong and her mother had chosen a medically assisted death. And I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember. I sh- she might've been in Oregon. Anyways, somewhere on, somewhere on the West Coast where it's allowed. But um, in the US, like the, the drugs are prescribed and the way Elaine told it, there's there's like a, a $400 option and like a $3,000 option. And the $3,000 option works really fast and the $400 option doesn't. But in, in either case, um, the law requires that you are still um, have enough, um, you're still lucid enough and capable enough to be able to take that medication on your own. Nobody can help you. Nobody can, like, like it's a hands-off because you don't want to be accused of attempted murder. So there's no doctor so, signature. No, there's, there's yeah. no, there's, there's just, you know, the doctor prescribes the drugs and you can take them at any time, but you have to take them yourself. It's not a case of, you know, you know, t- telling somebody, you know, well, if I if I get really bad, you know, just, you know, shove them down my throat with a glass of water. That's horrible. But, you know, no, that's 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 not it. I mean, you you have to you have to physically be able to take like take and ingest the drugs yourself. So that puts a, that means people have to choose to do it um, before um, they lose these capacities to be able to do that. Whereas here, um, you can um, do a waiver of final consent, meaning, let's say um, you were doing the paperwork and, and you chose a date six weeks out from today, and the paperwork's all in place, and then you've you've um, signed this um, this waiver of final consent, meaning if you are um, unconscious and unable to give consent, they can still perform the procedure. Whereas, in the, yeah, if you're in the United States, it's something you have to do on yourself because if something you have to do on your own, so you can't you can't wait to um, seek that um, a medically assisted death until you're too weak to sit up and be able to swallow and things like that. So, so in the U.S., if if, if you if you choose this 
you might end up having to do it maybe maybe do it sooner than yeah, it seems you like they're going to cut you short a little bit you know if, if here versus there you know where you can kind of take it to the end where you are yeah. versus here where you know you don't you don't necessarily get that option having to still be no able no. To, to do it yourself almost so not only that yeah, but what's the what's if you're the incapable of doing it yourself you, you it's not going to happen but what's the exactly. what's the difference between a three thousand dollar process and a four hundred dollar process? You said the three thousand well, dollar process is faster. So if you only yeah, have four hundred dollars, three thousand dollar process was in, within a couple of hours. The four hundred dollar process, she explained it as being, um, I think she said it was a day and a half. I'm not sure. I'd have to watch the TED talk again. But anyways, the the cheaper version uh, took longer, a lot longer. Right. That sounds terrible. It does. Yeah. Why would? Well, yeah, exactly. Whereas here, if you if you take the the route of euthanasia, you know, where they actually you know inject the drugs, it's like it's six or seven minutes tops, and and you don't feel a thing. It almost seems like well, there shouldn't be any other way. I mean that I you know if I'm if exactly. I'm gonna if I'm gonna go, I mean, you know, I'm already suffering and struggling like that. You know, just to we, go peacefully. We do better yeah. for our pets. You know, yeah, exactly. when we see our pets are old and yeah. thick, and we take them to the vet and have them put to sleep, right? Because they're suffering, right? And um, that option wasn't available to people until, you know, quite recently. So I'm kind of curious on what it was like. In can I mean, I guess it just wasn't allowed up until 2016. So anyone who was in your sister's position kind of just had to just go through the motions and deal with their struggles and their pain. And, and yeah. the same in here in the United States, um, man, that's, I don't know. It's just, it's some philosophical things, kind of like you say, it's just very, you know, on the back of your book, it's very philosophical because, you know, <clears throat> none of us know, none of us know specifically why we're here. Um, everyone has different ideas, different knowledge, different truths, different, whatever it is you want to call it. Um, you know, and just, this is, man, this is, I mean, you're talking about death and death is probably, you know, the, the, the least thing thought about from anyone um, having multiple people on the podcast talking about death, you know, I've, I've had people on where, where we talk about where we don't even, um, get ourselves ready for death. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just one of those things you don't do, but it's one of those things you kind of should do is, is kind of prepare yourself for death because it's going to happen. Um, and what that means, I have no idea. I haven't really done like a deep dive on that, but it's just, it's tough. And I, and I'm very, I'm very applauded by your book and, and that you came out with this book to go through, Th those moments that you had to go through and um i kind of want to say hats off and i normally wouldn't say this to the canadian government for allowing something like this to happen so you, to where your sister didn't have to struggle anymore and well, I, I excuse me i i know it may not be the choice for everyone but i and i don't even know if i would make that same choice myself in her shoes but i'm glad i have a choice that's the thing to have a choice. And that's whatever. If I, if I don't want to die a horrible, agonizing death, I don't have to. Yeah. I'm in a pretty good spot in my life. I don't want to go any sooner than I have to. Right. But you know, that, that, that's speaking from a, a, you know, a place where, you know, I'm pretty healthy and, and whatnot. But I mean, I, again, I watched what Jennifer went through and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I've that had, that cancer journey, this this the suffering, and just it 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 was not it was 
it was hard to watch her go through it. And that's 18 months. I, I, I can't, so I've had quite a few people pass away in, in my circle, you know, through the 33 years that I've been alive. I would say over 10, um, you know, close family members and friends, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, uh, right. you know, stuff like that. And it, it was nothing ever that your sister had to go through. It wasn't an 18-month journey that your sister went on. It was something very abrupt, brief, um, overdose, um, heart attack, you know, those types of things. It wasn't like they could have had the option to even try and do an assisted suicide. It's just nat- naturally happened or was caused by ill effects, you know, and, and it was quick. Right, right. Um, so, you know, again, yeah, I, 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 I just don't see, again, other than, because I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of any other way that, that, that this would be okay. And the only way that I see it, like I, like we said earlier in the podcast is if you were terminally ill and I don't think that there's any way around that. I don't think so either. And like I said, making it an option for the mentally ill, I think that's, that's, that's a, that's a big gray zone. Um, and I guess we'll wait and see what the government decides about that. So, um, and when you say the government, that's, that's federally right throughout the whole country. Yeah, federally, the, yeah. The, this is this is um, all been done at the federal level. So, and there are advocates for this, and people who have voices that go into these meetings and talk with people. Are you a part of that at all, or just kind of just observing it? I'm just I'm just kind of observing, but I I, I have been drawn into a few conversations here and there, um, just, just people wanting to know more uh, because they have a family member that's ill or whatever, and is you know considering this. Um, one fellow uh, heard my, uh, I, I did an interview on, on CBC, CBC, not CDC, uh, <laughs> and um, he heard it on the radio, and he actually, he, he lived near me, so he, he called me up. Well, see, his dad's in a nursing home, and he's not well, and he, but he's not, but he still wants to stick around until he's too sick, but the way the law works, it's like, you know, you can't, I think the way they've done it is that, you know, they, they, they just come back and do the process every two months so that, you know, he's never outside of um, what the paperwork he's done will allow because he, he doesn't want to pick a date because he's not sick enough yet. But um, the, the, it, they, they had to jump through some hoops and that's what they came up with is that, you know, um, this doctor comes and sees him every two months and, they redo the paperwork with a new end date so that he has that he can just call when he when when he wants to do it. And I mean, I guess I guess that's that, that's one way to, to get what you want without, you know, declining so fast that, you know, you don't have the opportunity to put it in place. I mean, it's, it's so weird, though, because like, let's <laughs> let's say that he is always mentally capable and then eventually he's not mentally capable, but physically he's always still there and he's not struggling in that aspect, but mentally he's gone or she's gone. Yeah. That's such a weird gray area. That has happened Uh, before they had the waiver of final consent that has happened or even it's happened for, for, for people that, you know, because there's a 10 day waiting period from the time you, you meet to start the paperwork until, you know, you have to those 10 days, it's like a cooling off period. Make sure this is what you want. And then after the 10 days, you can have the procedure whenever you want. But there's people who do the paperwork and after 10 days, you know, they weren't lucid enough or 
or whatever, which is why they have the waiver of final consent now. So you can say, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm, this is what I want. And I mean, I may not, you know, be lucid 10 days from now, but you can waive the final consent and then, you know, still have the procedure. But, you know, they're not going to waive final consent. You know, we're not going to give you a two year span where, you know, you can have this done. No. So the, like, like this gentleman who reached out to me. So right now they have it where yeah, every two months they, they look at it again, they redo the paperwork. And um, I haven't spoken to him, I think. I, I saw him at a talk I did in June. So I haven't spoken to him since then. I don't know if his dad is still with us or not. So, But it, let, let's say that you were put in a different position and your sister still could be here. And again, this is just hypothetical, but she mm. she wasn't struggling physically, but she mentally wasn't there. You know, because you talk about the experience of the family members as well. This isn't just just the person who's committing the assisted suicide. It's everyone within that circle. At that point, would you still be in agreement with assisted suicide if you could still have your sister here, but just not mentally? Does that make sense? Well, it does. And, and, and that's a hard one because if she's not here mentally, she's not really here. Right. Right. Um. As long as she wasn't suffering, but it's it, it's the the whole point of a medically assisted death is to end a person's suffering. So, and so if if she mentally wasn't here but was suffering in her body, and then she had waived final consent, I'd still have I I still would support it, I guess, because it's what she wanted. Yeah. And. Do you know for sure she's not in there somewhere, right? right yeah. Um, you know, there's uh, they talk so many times of people, you know, they're in comas for long periods of time, but they're aware of everything going on around them. They just, right. you know, they can't respond. So Again, the slippery slope, you know, that's just always the thing with yeah, controversial it, it topics. Yeah, because yeah. I think whenever you allow something like this to progress and like you even like you even said earlier, baby steps, even when you allow baby steps to happen with something like this, someone's going to take advantage of it. Someone somewhere within a scope of people will take advantage of it. Like we talked about the advantages that are there. And to me, that is what's troubling about this subject. And I think again, yeah, you just got to just boom, just lay, lay down the hammer and say, like I said, terminally ill, that's it. There's no more exceptions. It's almost like with abortion here in, in the United States. I don't know what the abortion, what's allowed in Canada when it comes to abortion, but that's life being presented to us. Um, there needs to be some type of stipulation, I guess. Yes. Which they're still yes. not even in America. Now it's up to the states, and now you have this whole hoopla when it comes to abortion. And in state, some, some states are different, liberal, some are conservative. So now it's just this... A, a range of messes where we live in, you know, the middle of the United States here in Missouri, where day one, whenever they left it up to the states, the Supreme Court last year or this year, sorry, Missouri came out and they were the first state said it's illegal. There are no ifs, ands, or buts. There are no exceptions. You get raped, you get raped, incest, anything like that. No abortion. Med medically, you, you, as a woman, you could die. I don't even think that that's an exemption in Missouri. I don't. I don't think there are any exemptions in Missouri. I don't. Yeah, I don't like know. zero, zilch, nada. But. If you want to go over, yeah, if you want to, and, and we're literally right on state line, like with 15, 15 minutes yeah. from state line into Kansas, you can drive over to Kansas and you can do what needs to be done. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm pro-life. So it's still weird for me. I, I think even within that scope of range of things, there should be, you know, there should be limitations. Like if you are, if there is any type of rape incest or your life is at, at harm, I think 
that there should be some guidelines there. You know, you know what I'm well, saying? Well, well, if we want to jump down this rabbit hole, I can talk about that too. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, um, I mean like what, what is it like so out in Canada? Actually, um, actually 21 years ago yesterday, um, I was uh, delivered of a 20 week fetus that I failed to miscarry. So basically what the, what they gave me was an abortion. My baby was dead, but what that's what the procedure was, was an abortion. Um, if they didn't do that, then what would happen is that basically the baby would start to putrefy in the body, causing an infection, which then could lead to sepsis, which could lead to death. So in that case, that's a medically necessary abortion. That's, you're not taking a life, but you're saying it saved mine because if my body wouldn't get rid of the baby, then that's that's the course it would have taken, sepsis on, and then death. So, and what what is the legal? St- if you wanted to jump down that rabbit hole, well, no, I was just kind of <laughs> curious what the what it's like out there legally when it comes to that in Canada. Is it broad, kind of like this assisted suicide? Right, where it's- right, right, right now, um, yeah, abortion is very accessible. I think up, I think up to sixteen weeks, and then it depends on the circumstances beyond that. I think that's reasonable. Yeah. I think it is. I mean, and that was like the biggest thing for me is like, what week do you put on a living or a living being, being, you know, in the, in the fetus or in what, what week do you put the life on the line? I guess, you know, and that's the thing, you know, um, at, at eight weeks, you know, yes, there's, there, there's a beating heart, but is that, is that, a, you know, is that recognizable as a person? No, but it will be a person if you leave it. So that, you know, it, it's like, you know, they've been debating abortion for years and years right. and years and years. And I don't think it matters which side you're on medically necessary abortions. Yep. They, they need to be there. Yep. And the thing is that, you know, uh, to tell, I, I read a, I read an article. It was back in the summer, and I wish I could remember where I read it. But it, it was a woman in the same situation I was, and they would not give her a medically, uh, like a medical abortion to, you know, get the dead baby out because it wasn't allowed. The, the doctors were because of the the interpretation of the law, the doctor could have been, you know, liable to go to jail. So they literally had to wait until that that baby made her sick you know that's crazy that's terrible yeah yeah it is because because that's putting her life in danger yeah and it wasn't and the thing is it it didn't have to go that way right i mean there there is a procedure to fix that but well yeah and you're able to you're able to go in there see if there's a heartbeat sonogram see what's going on the health of the baby and if it's exactly and if the baby and i mean if the baby is deceased and your body isn't you know doing what it needs to do you know to deliver it you know naturally then you need a medical intervention and right now there are doctors who won't perform it because you know the law stipulates well you know if it's misinterpreted i can go to jail so what part of canada are you from again sorry i'm in ontario ontario so that's ontario yeah i'm i'm like 20 miles from port Huron, michigan (laughs) okay cool so yeah i was i was I'm very fascinated, and I'm kind of changing subjects here a little bit, um, just with northern Canada um, and just the beauty that it holds. And I just saw an interesting, uh, just an interesting statistic. It's like only one in five Canadians live like in 
what would be considered northern Canada. And the other four people are like super close to the United States, like you just described. I just kind of thought that was fascinating. Well, yeah, but, I mean, you get up there. I mean, it's beautiful, but it, it's it's cold. It's, it's cold, cold yeah. and it's a harsh environment. Yeah, there was this guy, this it, it gentleman. Can, it, can, it can be, yes. I mean. But there was this gentleman, he, <laughs> he, he did like a legitimate like hike you know, across Northern Canada, like all the way, it took him three months or it was like a hundred days or something. Yeah. And, he, and he finally made it. Um, but yeah, it, no, it's beautiful up there. I'd love to see it at some point in my life. Um, so oh, I don't know if, I don't know. I don't know if, I mean, we still have a little bit of time left. Um, we got about 15 minutes until we hit the hour mark. Um, sure. I don't know if you have any lasting thoughts on just kind of our conversation tonight or any other things that you'd like to put forth out there. Because hmm. there, there are some other questions that I have specifically just, just to, you living in Canada. I, I've only met one other person my whole <laughs> life. Really? Yeah. But, through, through work. Well, you know, um, other than to make a plug for my book, you can find it anywhere on, online or, you know, ask for it in your bookstores. Um, but yeah, if, if you're, if you want to know what it's like, um, uh, being part of a medically assisted death, then you know, get the book because it, it it I laid it all out there. I didn't I didn't hold back. <laughs> yeah, Jennifer's choice. The book's right there. If you guys are watching on video, it's right there in the middle. Um, Don, all your links will be in the in the description below and on YouTube and Spotify and all those things to where okay. people can find your book. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I'm just. You said that it was moderately common in Ontario. You know, where you like you might know somebody who knows somebody who's had this procedure yeah, done. Yeah, right. It's, yeah, because we're like, we're seven years, well, seven, almost eight years that the law has been, what was changed to allow it. Um, but it, it took a little while to gain some traction and they, they were, they've been tweaking the laws here and there and whatever. But yeah, at, like at, when Jennifer said, this is what she wanted. And like, this is just like, you know, a year and a half ago, not even a year and a half ago now. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't know anybody else. Yeah, I've never heard of, I mean, for, for us here, I mean, so it's very few places in America that allow it. And right. it's just um, almost, un I've like, I've never known of anybody who's known of anybody who's known of anybody who's, who's you know, gone through this procedure. So it is exactly. definitely exactly. a different but scenario for you guys. Come out, now that the books come out, or people reach out to me or people that I know come and talk to me about it because they, they didn't feel like they could talk to it talk to other people about it because they didn't know if other, how where other people stood on it because again it's still kind of controversial it definitely would yeah i could see it being kind of touchy you know? yeah definitely definitely yeah. so but, it's like the the growth i guess with like is so is it becomes more like more people do it so i mean it's like i guess you you did you say it's becoming more accepted is it is it like a more support groups i mean are you seeing a lot of more stuff like where like how you're trying to put information out there for people who are in this situation and probably haven't been in this situation because it's, um, it's not an abundantly common one um, that are you seeing more, more help for those people? I mean, as it becomes I would, more common or. I, I, I wouldn't say that, but you know, I, I've become more aware of, um, of um, grief resources which I think can be very helpful in this situation. I don't know of any support groups for people who's, who have lost a family member to medically assisted suicide, but it doesn't mean they're not out there. I just, I'm not aware of them. Yeah. But just like going, but it's probably not a bad idea. Yeah. Well, but like, well, like you said earlier though, you said like the amount of, of all of Canada, just in Ontario doubled that 
within a year. It's like she's, 50 percent more yeah. people. Or not double, yeah, fifty percent alone than all of Canada the year before. And then I have no idea what the stats are going to be when they come out. I think next March. Yeah. So yeah, so and now now it's a case where you know nobody nobody used to know anybody who did it. Now if you don't know somebody, you might you know know somebody who knows somebody. And I and it like um okay so I have a page on Facebook and you know I run a few ads and then you know people jump in and comment on the ads. And and one lady's like, you know, oh, well, you know, my aunt did this and she just had a totally peaceful death. And I said, and she goes, I don't think people, I don't think it's controversial because I think she just read the back of the book, right? And <laughs> I mentioned controversy. And um, I don't think it's controversial. Everybody I talk to, you know, is 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 on board with this. And then I just, you know, I, I was like, well, do I jump in and say anything? So I did. And I, uh, I just explained that. I said, you know, there's, there's, um, I'm glad it was a, a good experience for your aunt and that, you know, your family was all on board. That's wonderful. But, you know, there are other people have other experiences because um, they're, they have trouble finding two doctors to sign off to do this because there's medical people who don't want to have anything to do with it. And then there's other people who, you know, because of their religious views, you know, are against this and, um, I could see that being problematic if it's in your own family, you know, you've got people on both sides of the fence, but, you know, so-and-so is dying and has chosen this. And, you know, I think you just don't need to put this aside and support them and what they want, because they don't want to suffer, even if you want them to stay, because I think that's a selfish thing to do, to ask somebody to stay when they want to go, when they're suffering. <laughs> oh, no doubt. You said your whole family was pretty supportive, uh, Again, it was, yeah. you know, you kind of expressed like that you had kind of like leading up to it, like it was anxiety, difficult. Yeah, anxiety. I mean, in retrospect, oh, you wish that you I mean, and I could see that. I mean, obviously, like losing somebody, especially like a like a sibling, somebody that you obviously love quite a bit being a hard oh. process in retrospect you had you wish you had looked on it differently, like like a, with a different perspective. I mean, I mean, obviously, you said you were supportive, so it's not like, well, um. There's just, of course, there's there's always things after the fact. Things, oh, you know, I wish I'd have done this or wish I'd have done that or, or could I have done more? Um, yeah. To make Jennifer more comfortable in her last days, but um, I, I had to I had to get over that because she I'm was sure. doing things on her terms. I mean, she lived in Windsor, which is right across from Detroit, Michigan, and I'm two hours away on the other side of Lake St. Clair. So, but I was making that trek. Uh, early on once a week when she started to allow us to come back like to come and visit her and then you know two and three times a week and then you know I we stayed at a, my husband and I stayed at a hotel um the day before she died we spent the whole day with her beforehand and then we got there early in the morning um of the day that she um passed away um just trying to do what we could I mean there just sometimes there isn't a lot that you can do other than just be there yeah you know, and I'm just thinking, you know, well, but it's not, there's, she, she did it her way. And I mean, I, I was kind of kicking myself saying like, well, you know, why didn't you have music playing or why didn't you bring <laughs> her some flowers? That you know, yeah. you, you, you just, you just, I don't know. There's just, this, there's such a feeling of helplessness because you, you have absolutely no say and no control. Right. Um, but and I, I, I know how to plan a nicer death for somebody else if it was ever asked of me 
but you know at the time you're just kind of consumed by the grief and and the un, you know fear of the unknown because like you know is 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 this they say it's not going to hurt her but you know is that really true but you know being there and seeing her um yeah she was i mean it was it was a very peaceful thing yeah you but, talk, you talked about <clears throat> and i guess the only way that i can relate um specifically to this to to this whole uh podcast is uh, last year, my, my I had I had a cat, Couplin, and she was my mm-hmm. cat. I got her as a kitten. She was six years old. That's really young for a cat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Very, very young. Very healthy. Mm-hmm. Not a you know. She was just a good cat. And just out of nowhere, you know, just days go by. She's not eating. Just days. So there's the suffer there. She's suffering already. When I when now knowing about what I know, suffering and suffering. Take her to the vet. Oh, it could be this. It could be that an emergency vet. I'm like, okay. So I take, I take her home. I try and do those things. Nothing progresses. So she's still suffering. You know, there's probably a week and a half of suffering. I took her three times to the emergency room for finally the third time for them to tell me the first time they did a sonogram, but they didn't do a sonogram of her lungs. The third time, or it was the fourth time that we went there. Well, they did a sonogram of the full body. And that's when they saw that there was a mass in my cat's lung. And it fluid, uh, yeah, fluid was building up in the lungs. It was hard for her to breathe. Um, so she went through an initial struggle of multiple weeks, and it was very tough to watch. Um, she tried to escape. We have this beautiful cat house that they can go out the window and enjoy the outside, a yeah. 10, foot, 10 foot by 8 foot little enclosure. She found her way out of that, and she tried to run away because that's what cats do when they're about to pass. Yeah. They want to find a, a spot. And luckily I caught her, and then I took her that final time, and that's when I'm like, yeah, you know, short of you spending this outrageous amount of money to maybe save her, it's most likely won't, but it would give her a little bit more time. Your best option is to euthanize, you know, and I, I had to be there. I was with her. I held her when they did it. I cried. It was, yeah. it was just it's a not very, an easy thing. I put pets down before too. It's yeah. not an easy and it's not comparable to a, a sibling or a mother or a father, but I mean, that's as oh, close. I mean, there, there is, there are parallels there. For I mean, sure. Yeah, you know, you know, the thing is that you, you loved your cat and you didn't want her to suffer. Exactly. You know, so. I think, yeah, again, I don't, are you kind of in agreement too, Blake? Like, is that really the only stipulation is just like terminally ill? Could you see it used any other way? I mean, I could, no, I mean, it shouldn't be. I mean, like you said earlier, I could see people trying to maybe take advantage of it. I mean, there's other spots like my great grandma at the end, she had no idea what was, I mean, you know, she was uh, Alzheimer's. And that was really tough to watch because, I mean, she really had no clue who anybody was, where, you know, where she was. Like, she thought I was like her son for the longest time towards the end. And I was like, okay, yeah, it's good to see you. Like, you know, it was good to see her, obviously, because, you know, I've grown up. She was always around with my grandma. And uh, that was tough to see. And I don't know, you know, it's like, I don't know at what point, you know, somebody who, is their body still works, but their brain doesn't, you know, at what point, I mean, I guess in, in a sense it was working just, it was kind of in its own little world. Um, at what point, you know, something else would, you know, where you would kind of bring something else into that picture. I think that it probably should be left at terminally. I mean, I don't think anybody should suffer if you're in pain like that, you know, especially like your sister. I mean, I've, yeah. I've, I've have asthma. I know I couldn't imagine just constantly not being able to breathe. That sounds I mean, I'd, I'd probably be in the same boat as her. I mean, it sounds terrible. Um, yeah. But having the ability to say, okay, like I don't want to suffer. So, I mean, 
that should really kind of be where you draw the line be my my big thing well and, and here in america i think that's kind of where i looked at it and it was just not where it necessarily made sense but like one of the the pro arguments for this is that if you don't allow assisted suicide to be available to people who are suicidal then they're just going to commit and atro- you know they're going to inflict pain on uh, up into themselves and you know and and I don't, I'm not saying I agree with that, but when it comes to terminally ill, like the latter part is, Hey, can I please just go peacefully as opposed yeah. to do something I mean, to I myself that would hurt. Key. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, kinda... and usually by the time they're at that point, they've, they've suffered enough. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Let them go peacefully. We, you know? we have the pieces just in place to, to please, and that's it. Yeah. Not give you some $400 dollar generic drug. That's going to take a day and a half. Like yeah, that's that sounds... insane. America's doing it the shady way, man. That's, that's for yeah, damn sure. Definitely not. Well, that's the way to that's do the it. capitalistic way, right there. Three thousand dollars for the quick way, four hundred dollars for the shitty way. Yeah, basically. Yeah, well, Don, I mean, that's a, that's that's America for you in a nutshell, girl. I know both. you've been down here. I know you've traveled probably in the states yeah. a few times. Yeah. That's yeah. that's America. I mean, both ways don't really sound. I mean, like the way that yeah, you I'm guys like, do it definitely sounds a lot better than any other way. I mean, that it sounds well, like she went peacefully, and you guys were kind of able to be there. It was quick. <laughs> You know, versus well, yeah, yeah, exactly. It could be a few hours. You know? It could be a day and a half. It's like okay, well, you see, you're just like you know, wandering around the house and then just kind of drop to the floor dead. It's right. Like, you know, that'd be unfortunate. You're just you're probably of, a couch potato on on those well, sh- on those I'm drugs. Sure, I have yeah. no idea, but I, I don't know either. But I know there are a few other countries. Australia is one, one a country where I think I, I could be wrong, but there's a map of where it's allowed, and and I think it's what yeah. Canada. <laughs> places in in europe as well yeah it just makes sense i mean why wouldn't it i mean you know if somebody is saying hey you know like you're not going to be around what's well, the big re- it's the big religious like, piece where, like where with, people say it's god decides when you die that's like the biggest part of it of it's, which, yeah that's especially I, when you go to like to the middle east it. countries and, and stuff like that there's no support or even any type of talk about what we're talking about right exactly so Okay. So, yeah, this is going to stay a controversial topic for a while, I think, before, you know. I can see why. Everybody get on board. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because I mean, like you said, other than, uh, you know, terminally ill, everything else is a slippery slope. At least terminally ill, it's your choice. But, you know, in the case of somebody with Alzheimer's or uh, horrible developmental disabilities, um, yeah, that's that's really great. <laughs> That's the gray zone. That's the slippery slope. So, well, we we are right now. The way the law is, it's it's. I think it's 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 allowing people to be freed from their suffering. So, that's the big part. I mean, so kind of before before we let you go, I don't know how much more time you have, but kind of like I can I can take whatever time you need. Okay, because you said you had questions about Canada. I do. So it it depends on what you're willing to talk about, because I know that there's a, a lot of controversial things that go on in Canada with Justin Trudeau <laughs> and I'm not the biggest fan of Justin Trudeau. I don't know what you're allowed to say or not say. What is freedom of speech like in Canada? Um, I used to think it was, you know, it was really good, but, um, you know, especially when the pandemic hit, there's a lot of, uh, there's certain, um, certain, um, so before you say anything, so if you're, that- if you're not comfortable with talking about any of these things, I completely understand that as well. So that's kind of where I was going. I'm sorry. No, but 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 it, it was known that there there was certain um, 
government-sponsored labs and things like that that we're not allowed to uh, say anything to the public in regards to the coronavirus and whatnot. So, you know, um, that's obviously um, not uniting them having freedom of speech. So, what were your it's, thoughts? It's, it's, what were your thoughts no, on ahead. what were your thoughts on the trucker convoy? If you can have any type of thoughts on those, because uh, that went know, through in was, Ontario, right? I can see both sides. I tend to be a very diplomatic person, anyway. You know, but um, I mean, the government saying, you know, uh, thou shalt do this and thou shalt do that because we say so because we say this is what's best for you, when the science wasn't always there, and we just—I mean, we're a free country just like you. But, you know, we had we had all these mandates and whatever. I know people who lost their jobs because they weren't comfortable with being vaccinated and they just wanted this to be over. And so, you know, they descended upon Ottawa and, um, you know, I, I think they were heard. I mean, they took the mask mandate away um, very soon after that. Um, Don, would you believe me if I told I, you? I found, I found this was really polarizing. Um, this yeah. whole, um, you know, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And it's like, you know, I I, I don't understand how, why it went that way because, you know, um, I'm, I'm a bit older than you guys, but, you know, you know, in, in polite conversation, you don't, you, know, you don't talk politics, you don't talk religion. And, um, you know, generally speaking, you know, we can agree to disagree and we shake hands and we go home. But it, it was, I mean, it was just kind of a nightmare watch. I think social media had a big thing, a big part in that though, because it gave a platform for everybody from far left to far right to throw their views out there. And then, you know, when everybody's all sitting at home, got nothing else better than do than to scroll on Facebook or the other social media and just jump in on the conversations, right? And it just kind of, it really got blown out of proportion. Oh, I completely agree. Would you believe me if I told you? Don, if so, we live like I told you. We live in Missouri. We yeah. live in we live in a county. Uh, it's 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 like on like I said on the border of Kansas and Missouri. We live in a mm -hmm. county where there were never any mass mandates throughout all of COVID. I I have friends that I think it was around Christmas time last year. Uh, they went to visit friends in the states, and they just stayed until um, like May or June of this year. They just went, you know. Um, they just traveled around and and enjoyed not being told what to do. <laughs> right. Okay. So you know? this is my last rapid question. And if you have any questions about America, feel free. Blake and I are here. We okay. have all the answers of America yeah, in our back pockets. Very, no, that's not. And him and I sway from. when it comes to politics. We're pretty opposite. We are pretty lot, opposite, times, but we're, yeah. we're still best friends. I still kiss this guy in the mouth. Granted, oh, he would try and kiss me first, and my wife probably would not agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> my Sorry, wife that feels was the same way. That yeah. was. Um, what are your thoughts on like just the just the firearms initiatives that are going on in Canada right now? I know there have been some things that have been placed um, recently where they're no longer going to be able to own a, a handgun or a semi-automatic weapon or even firearms at all. But I think Trudeau said if you have a weapon, you're grandfathered in, you can keep that. I'm not entirely sure how all of that works. Can you shed a little oh, bit of light well, on that? I've, I've, I haven't delved too deep in that, but the last I heard was that there was an amendment to um, – add semi-automatic weapons which is every weapon what's that that's that's basically every weapon a semi-automatic when you basically i mean i'm i'm i grew up in in rural ontario uh, my dad was a hunter and a trapper i mean at 15 i had 
I had my own gun license and at the, at the time it was a miner's permit, not a, a firearms acquisition certificate, which is under another name now anyway. Uh, but you know, I grew up around guns and whatever. And it was just one of those things back then we didn't have to lock them up. I mean, they want to take them away, but they've already made it so that, you know, um, you know, there's so many laws about um, how you transport them, how you store them in your home. You, you have to have your guns locked up and your ammo locked up and not in the same place, you know? I mean, there's all these safety, you know, safety rules already built in. So why, why do you need to take the guns away? Um, and there's, I mean, people are worried about that because, A, well, hunters want to hunt and, you know, I don't think they want to go back to bows and arrows. Some do, but I mean, most don't. Um, and honestly, um, there, there are a few, um, there are a few uh, reasons why you might need um, a defense mechanism, a semi-automatic a gun or, you know, so is it an AR-15, the ones that can shoot off like a hundred rounds in six seconds. I mean, we, we do have wild boar in Canada. And, you know, if you had a herd of them stamping, stampeding at you, that's the only thing that's going to save you. Um, not that I, you know, would ever want to own one, but the thing is being in a free country, I mean, we, we, we don't have, we don't have a second amendment that protects our right to bear arms, but, you know, we've done well so far. And I mean, I have to say we have a lot less mass shootings than you do. Yeah, <laughs> right. Seriously, they don't even have a Second Amendment, and but they've had guns up until this point, up until recently. We, well, yeah, yeah, but... yeah, exactly. I mean, what she's saying um, is they've had guns, they've had no issues because there's yeah. no polarization. Yeah. And and yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, it's too much. No, no, that's not too much. No, no, it's no. just the whole. It could just go on. No, no, for sure, for yeah. sure. Those are those are really the only questions I had for. Yeah, I went to Canada one time. I loved it. It was fun. We when did camping. you go? Oh, dude, I was like 14, 13. We went to Manitoba, some lake. It wasn't far, like, across the border, but it was beautiful, yeah. like you said, man. I would love to go back. We had some, they, some, the food's a lot different up there. I remember I had, like, an ice cream cone, and I think it, like, you know, when you go to Dairy Queen, they dip it in the chocolate. Mm -hmm. It was, like, dipped in, like, maybe, like, a grape or something. So it, it was, it was different, yeah. The ketchup was different. The chips were different. It was, it, I mean, you know. It was a lot of different stuff up there. It was cool. I had a good time. And the people are nice and friendly, eh? Yeah. Yeah, eh? Hey. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, no. The, it was, it, we had a great time. Yeah, we met a lot of people in our little camp area, and it was fun. Yeah. I recommend it. Go to Canada, man. Try it out. Well, did you have any lasting questions for our questions for, for Blake or I? Or? think so it's, okay. it's, a, it's a little bit later here and it's, it's for sure it was a long so, yeah just shoot us shoot us the do you, do you have a website where can we find you and again i'll have you all can, the links below you but you can find me at www.donstillwell.ca that's my author website um you can buy the book there you can find, you can find my books there i have a blog there um i, I usually talk about um much happier things than um than jennifer's choice but <laughs> Well, it's a story that if you don't mind, just shoot me. Um, I'll, I can find most of those links, but there, if there are any like weird links that people could find you at, shoot, shoot me a text, put them in and then I'll put them on, on the uh, description below. If you, if, you, if you just put the website there, there's, there's links to all my social media and, and other stuff cool. there. So very cool. Well, as, one stop out there. as unfortunate of the events that you have been led to, 
You did write a beautiful book, Don, and thank you for that. You do have a lot of important information that's going to help a lot of people in your country and most likely our country because it's already happening in nine states like we talked about. It's probably yeah. going to be a progressive movement for people who are terminally ill. They should have this option, in my opinion, whether or not religious people believe me or, or agree with me or not. I don't think that's really a conversation to be had. It's your life. You know what I'm saying? It was Jennifer's choice, like you talk about in the book. And I think that's the most important thing. So thank you for that. Thank you for joining Talk Junkies. I hope you have a blessed rest of your night. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Had a blast. Thank you. We'll see you later, Don. Right. Yep. Bye for now. See ya. Well, there yeah. you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Don Stillwell um, out of Canada. Uh, great podcast. Had a lot of fun. Um, the best thing that you guys can do for this podcast is share this podcast um, or even just listen to it in its entirety because we have a lot of good things to say. Um, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button to all our junkies out there. Ring the bell. Is that what it is? <laughs> sure. Ring the bell. Ring <laughs> Blake the bell, did his brother. best attempt to do, to do Jesse. What is, how does he say? Stay fly and ring the bell. But that's good, man. Oh, hey, stay fly. Ring the bell. Broncos country. Let's ride.